Well, good morning, Grace Church. My name is Andrew. I'm one of the student pastors here, and it is my uh, privilege and joy this morning to dive into God's Word with you as we continue in our series on unexpected heroes uh, throughout the Bible, mostly in the Old Testament here. So if you brought a copy of God's Word with you this morning, I would invite you to join me in 2 Kings chapter 7. Whether that's a digital copy or a physical copy, we'd love for you to join us there. We will do in just a moment here our, our tradition here where we stand together and honor God's word uh, by reading uh, together. But we're only going to read one verse uh, together here in a moment. But before we do that, I got to ask you, uh, I got I to share with you an experience that, that I've had. And I'm, I'm hoping I'm not the only one who has had this experience, okay? You ever, you ever sit down at a big meal, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's Thanksgiving, or you're at a buffet. When I was a kid, my family, a lot of times on Sundays after church, we'd go to like a Chinese buffet or uh, uh, old country buffet, uh, wherever. We'd sit down, and there's a big meal, and you're loving it. You're enjoying You're eating, you're eating, and uh, it's everything that you want, you know, in your lunch, everything you want in your dinner. It's making your mouth happy. It's making your belly happy. Everything's going great. And then you, you hit a point in the meal, Right? And this is where I hope I'm not the only one who's had this experience. You hit a, hit a moment where you go, I could keep going. <laughs> right? Okay, thank you. Thank you. The, the laughter is letting me know I'm not the only one. Okay, right? I could keep going, but I probably shouldn't. Right? I, I could keep going. I'm satisfied. I've, I've eaten my full. But I could keep going too, right? Like, like that's, that's a choice. Um, and, and I know, man, I got, I got to, I got to have some discipline here. I got, I got to be wise with my body, but it's so good, right? Like, and you're just, you're in that moment where you got to make a decision about whether, cause yeah, this, this happened to me, uh, recently. Um, uh, I was out with, uh, with my community group, the guys from my community group. Uh, our, our, our community group, um, is awesome. We do, uh, every couple months, uh, all the guys, the adult guys from our group will get together. We'll do something. Uh, yesterday we, we went and played paintball together for a couple hours. It was great. Shot each other for two hours. It was great. And, and, uh, I've got the, I've got the bruise to prove it. Wherever you are, Bryce, uh, out there. Thank you for that. I appreciate, appreciate that. Um, but we do, we do this together. If you don't have a community group, you need to join a community group so you can have experiences like this too. But we went out to eat together at uh, Terra Brazil, okay? Uh, and, and a couple of you I see, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. It's amazing. If you've never been there, you gotta try it out sometime. Save up your dollars, okay? Because it's a little pricey, but you go out on the, it's over by Valley Mall. I don't, I never know whether to call that like Clive, Urbandale, that, that side of town over there. You go and um, it's a Brazilian steakhouse, okay? So if you don't know what that is, it's got to be the closest you can get to culinary heaven, like here on earth, you know, and, and I don't, I don't know what the food situation is going to be like in heaven, so this may be just an earth thing, okay? And I'm here for it, all right? It's, it's, it's amazing. You go, you go in there, and they've got like a, a salad bar and uh, like a sides bar where it's all the carbs and all the different things like that they want you to fill up on. Don't fall for that trick, okay? Like they, they put that over there, and then you sit down at the table, and on your table is a little, uh, like, little wooden, like, flipper thing, okay? And on one end, it's green, and on one end, it's red. And if you've got the green side up, it's like, it's like a, a miracle. Like, they, they just bring you meat. It's just like meat after meat. And, so, and the, they'll trade out different kinds of meat. Like, they'll bring you a little bit of pork. They'll bring you a little bit of steak. They'll bring you some fish. Like, it's like, and they just keep coming until you flip it over to the red side. Right? And at some point, at some point in the meal, you hit that moment where you're like, I should flip that thing to red. <laughs> like, like, I've hit the moment where I could keep going 
but I'm going to regret it if I do, right? Like, I'm, I'm, I will hate myself if I keep eating uh, the way I'm eating right now. And it's, they just keep coming. And just about the time you're slowing down, so you're, like, starting to get a pile up of extra meat on the side. And you're like, I got to. But if you're like me, that's like I'm admitting defeat when I flip over to the red side, right? Like, that's like, no. I, like, I want this restaurant to lose money on me, right? Like, I'm, I'm going to get my money's worth this way. And it's like... We, we have that moment, and I'm thankful that I'm not the only one, apparently, from, from uh, the audience reaction I'm getting that. We have that moment where we got to go, I, I could stop. I, I probably should stop, or I could keep going, right? Like, but I know I'll probably regret it if I do, right? And that's, in our, in our passage we're going to look at today, in our, in our story today, there's a group of people who had to make that moment of decision about, about what to do, whether to keep going or were they going to do what they knew they probably should do? And praise the Lord, I think, I think they make the right decision here. We'll look at that here in a second. And uh, I would like to invite you to stand your feet. And we're going to read just a single verse where we see them make this decision. From 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 9. Uh, let's read it together as is our custom. Then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word and the truth that it brings to our lives. I ask now that you would open our eyes, uh, open our minds, open our hearts to receive your word and to know what to do with it. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Um, I just have a very simple point uh, today as we study these outcast heroes, uh, these unexpected heroes, and it's, it's very simply this. We just read it in this verse. Heroes don't keep the good news to themselves. Heroes don't keep the good news to themselves. Now, we're going to get into this passage and try to see where exactly does this first come from, what's the story that's going on, what's, what's the big picture of what's happening here, and uh, we'll, we're going to do that now. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Matt actually brought us into uh, this, this context of what's going on uh, when he took us to 2 Kings chapter 5 and introduced us to Naaman and the slave girl that he basically human trafficked. Okay, that, that he brought in and the decision she had to make uh, as, as she became that unexpected hero in his life. Um, so this is just two chapters later, but it's really a continuation of that same time period in what's going on in, in Israel's history and in, in the life of the king at that time and the enemies of Israel at that time. So let me just kind of set the stage. This happens Old Testament. We're in the kingdom of Israel. Uh, think, you know, King David, you know, the, the kingdom of Israel has been established, but then it splits. There's a civil war. And you have the northern kingdom and you have the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is referred to uh, for the rest of the, uh, the uh, accounts there as Israel. And the southern kingdom is Judah. So you have Israel and Judah uh, in there together. When I was a kid, that was always confusing to me because it kept saying Israel. And I'm like, wait, are we talking about the north-south? Israel's the north, Judah's the south. And this is what's going on. They're going through a series of kings, right? Some of the kings are good. Some of the kings are eh, and some of the kings are really bad, okay? So they're going, they're going as, a, as a nation through this roller coaster uh, uh, in both the north and the south. At this period in time, the, the northern kingdom has a eh uh, king. He's, he's not great. He's not the worst king they're going to get either. But this king does not love the Lord and does not submit to the Lord. 
And because of that, he has a love-hate relationship with God's prophet at that time, who is the prophet Elisha, okay? He listens to Elisha sometimes. Sometimes he ignores Elisha. He really likes Elisha when Elisha comes in and is like, hey, King Joram, watch out. The enemy's setting a trap for you. Don't give in. And then he wins the, wins the battle because he listened to Elisha. And he's like, all right, you're a pretty cool dude. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep you around. But then sometimes uh, Elisha's like, hey, you shouldn't do this. And he's like, I'm going to do it anyway. And then he's like, I'm going to kill you, Elisha, for standing out to me. He's got this love-hate relationship going back and forth. And at this particular moment in chapter 7, we're in the middle of one of those back and forths between King Joram and the prophet Elisha. And specifically, we're going to see uh, how that plays out. Uh, this specific story actually starts in chapter 6, but we're not going to read it just for the sake of time this morning. If you want to read it on your own time, I would encourage you to check out chapter 6, especially starting around verse 8, and then it really gets good around verse 24 because it zooms in now to the specific uh, context of what we're about to see happen with the verse we just read. And this is is the picture. I'm going to kind of give you a summary of it. There is a uh, a tribal uh, unit from Syria uh, called the Aramean who have come in and made war with Israel. They've been going back and forth and they get to the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel, which is Samaria, and they uh, besiege the city. Okay, they surround it. They cut off all the access points. No food or water is getting in or out and they, they put them under siege for months. Okay, for months at a time. And it gets bad in the city. In chapter 6, uh, we see a description as King Joram is walking around the city and seeing all uh, the, 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 the lows that his city has sunk to and how bad it is. He even talks about cannibalism going on in the city and King Joram's having to react to that. And then he gets mad at Elisha and wants to assassinate Elisha and tries and Elisha stops him and then predicts that God is going to provide a way out of the uh, besiegement that they're under. So that's kind of the, the run-up to where we are in this uh, passage. Join me in 2 Kings chapter 7, and we're going to read verse 3 together. Now, there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. And they said to each other, Why stay here until we die? If we say, We'll go into the city, the famine is there, and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. <laughs> I, love, I love the like the, the simplicity of the humor and their, their logic here. It's just like, we're, we're dead here. We go there, we die. We go there, we might die. Or we might live. You know, like, what are we going to do? I love it. So cool. <laughs> Sounds very human, right? Like, like any of us. Verse 5. At dusk, they got up. And went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. So that they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. Wow, that's so cool. This miracle that God did uh, uh, confusing this enemy army and providing uh, just a a reason for them to escape and get out of there. So, verse 8, the men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp, entered one of the tents, and ate and drank. Then they took silver and gold and clothes and went off and hid them. And they returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. So the lepers 
no, we're dead, we're dead, or, or we could go, maybe we'll live. They go in, they find this amazing miracle has happened. What do they do? The same thing we would all do. They eat and drink, and then they start stuffing, you know, all the stuff they can. They're, they're hiding it. Verse 9, then they said to each other, what we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news, and we are keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. So they went and called out to the city gatekeepers and told them, we went into the Aramean camp and no one was there. Not a sound of anyone, only tethered horses and donkeys and the tents left just as they were. And the gatekeepers shouted the news and it was reported within the palace. Ladies and gentlemen, these are your unexpected heroes today. A bunch of outcasts, the lepers, who found something that God has done, enjoyed it, and then when their conscience got the better of them, they said, we need to go tell people what God has done. Let's look at it a little bit more closely. Let's make some observations about, about these lepers as we work through, and then we'll talk about how it can apply to our lives today. First of all, the lepers understood and recognized uh, that they were in a desperate state. Okay, let's, if, if we zoom out, we talked about where Israel is. They're, you know, they're under a bad king. Um, they're, they're being invaded by outsiders. Uh, you zoom into their capital city is now being besieged. The city is bad. There's cannibalism going on. Everyone's desperate. There's nothing to eat. And then think about the lepers themselves. Uh, again, Pastor Matt introduced us to leprosy uh, when he talked about Naaman a couple weeks ago. If you didn't see that message, you got to go find it on YouTube. It's there or on our church website. You'll find it. It's great. But leprosy is just like an umbrella term for any type of uh, contagious skin disease uh, that was going on in that culture at that time. It was often very debilitating, disfiguring, uh, dismemberment was a part of it, and ultimately death. Uh, And it was highly contagious. So what they would do based on the Mosaic law and their cultural traditions is they would literally cast lepers out of the city. And they would uh, gather in a leper colony or some type of a situation where they lived outside the city and they would be beggars. Now, sometimes they would still have family that lived inside the city or in the area that cared about them. So they would, they would ship food and clothing and stuff like that out to uh, the lepers, but they couldn't go in because they'd be unclean and all that. So who do you think is the first group of people to get hit hard when starvation hits the city? Right? Who's no longer getting the gift packages with, with food in it? And everything? Yeah, no. They have been outcasts out of the society. They are probably more hungry and more desperate than everyone inside the city who are eating each other. Right? This is their state that they're in. And they recognize it. <laughs> and I love it. Again, just that clear sense of like, dead here, dead there, dead there. Well, we'll try the one thing. Right? And they use simple logic to come to a simple conclusion. We have to do what no one would expect us to do. We should go to the enemy. Right? We need to take action to get out of the situation we're in. And maybe just by some miracle, we'll end up surviving this thing. Right? So they do it. And that's a, good, that's a good tip. If you ever find yourself in a desperate situation, just use logic. Okay? It's just, oh, we're dead here, dead there. Do the one thing that's left okay? at, at the end of the day. You never know what will happen. All right? Worst case, you're, you're, you're just in more of trouble that you're already in. Right? So they use simple logic, make an unpredictable uh, conclusion. They go to the enemy. So because they recognize their desperate state, that leads them. The lepers enjoy and discover the spoils of God's 
miracle. So their desperate state (laughs) flips, and now they're enjoying the spoils of what God has done. They get in there. Uh, they're the first ones to find the miracle. The editor and writer of, of Second Kings um, gives us a little aside here to explain what happened during the night. Uh, the enemy army is in their tents and they hear the sound of horses and a great army attacking from both the north and the south. That's the Hittites and the Egyptians. This was actually something kind of common in that day. Uh, uh, kings would hire other kings, almost like mercenaries, to come in and help them out and join them in battles and stuff like that. So they jumped to the conclusion, oh, this city that we've been besieged for the last couple of months must have finally got their reinforcements here. They must be coming from the north and coming from the south. The only thing for us to do is scoot and we got to go to east, right? So they leave, they, they run out and it's all God. God has just, just brought this sound upon them. And, and, and I love that the editor gave us this uh, revelation of, of how God did this to scare off uh, this invading army. So they run out and what do the lepers do? They do exactly what you or I would do. They enjoy what they find. Right? They first they fill their bellies. They're starving. They're probably on the brink of death. Like it makes total sense they would, they would do that. And then they fill their pockets. Right? They they start grabbing gold and silver and clothes and all these things. And they're they're holding up. They go. They hide it somewhere. And then they come back for a second trip. Right? And they're do, they're doing more. They're getting as much as they can. And they're probably just beside themselves in joy because they didn't know what they were going to find when they got there. Then they were like, did you, did you see anyone? There weren't any guards. There weren't any, like, what, what's going on here? Let's eat. <laughs> right? Like, this is, this is great. This is a wonderful, joyful moment in their life. And it's only on their second trip of loading up of goods that they start to think about what they're doing. Right? This is that moment where they're hit, they hit where they're like, ah, keep going, or maybe, maybe there's something else I should be doing right now. And they go from enjoying the spoils of God's miracle to recognizing and realizing their selfish agenda that they are on. Um, and they do it in, in four statements, okay? There's four lepers, it tells us. There's four statements. I like to think that this is like they're sitting there uh, and they're, they're all like, Oh man, my belly doesn't feel good. It's so full of food and I can't carry another pile of gold anywhere. Like they're, they're just like kind of out of breath. And then one guy sitting over there goes, you know what, guys? I feel like what we're doing ain't right. Right? It, the, the, the words here say exactly what we're doing is not right. This is an admission of moral guilt. He doesn't say, I don't think we should be doing this. He says, I think what we're doing is wrong. I'm, we're doing the wrong thing right now. And then I like to think another guy on the other side of the tent chirps up and goes, this is a day of good news and we're keeping it to ourselves. So that's a specific acknowledgement of the thing that they're doing that's wrong. So first they admit we're in the wrong, but then they name the thing that they're doing that is wrong. They're specific about it. We're keeping this to ourselves. is that, that selfish agenda. And then I like to think another guy on the other side of the tent goes, you know, and if we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us, right? And we don't know exactly what they're thinking there. We're not, we don't know if they're thinking like divine punishment, like God is going to strike them down, or, or are they worried that the city is going to notice the empty camp, and then the city is going to punish them, like the police are going to come and execute them or something like that, because they should have returned, you know, this news to the city or whatever. I don't know. We don't know exactly what they're thinking, if they're thinking like a divine thing or a human thing. But the point is, they're like, we're going to regret this if we don't do the right thing. So they consider 
the potential consequences and punishments for their actions. Like, we're doing the wrong thing. This is the thing that we're doing that's wrong. There might be consequences if we keep doing it, right? So what do they do? They say, all right, guys, let's pack it up. Let's hide it all away. Nobody tell anybody where you got the goods from. And over the next couple months, we'll slowly, you know, spend it here and there. And no one will be wiser, right? The sun will come up. The city will be able to look out over their walls and they'll see the empty camp. The city will be saved. Everything will be good. We'll be richer and no one will be the wiser, right? Is that, is that what they say? No, <laughs> because they've already said the thing that we're doing that's wrong is that we're keeping this to ourselves, That's the thing that's wrong. What's wrong is not getting the riches. What's wrong is not filling the bellies. What's wrong is keeping it to themselves. That's the thing that's wrong. So they make a decision. They say, let us go at once to the palace and tell the good news of what has happened here. So they make a specific plan and then they act on it. And guys, in these, these four, this simple verse, these four statements, I think we actually get like a little side sermon here, okay? They get a little side sermon here. This is free. God just threw this in extra in the text. This is a really good way to handle uh, when we recognize guilt in our own life, okay? When we, when we recognize that we're doing something wrong that we shouldn't be doing, four simple steps. First, acknowledge that what you're doing is wrong. Name the things specifically that you're doing wrong. And then consider what the potential consequences and repercussions are to your actions. Make a plan and do something to make it right. Right? When you can just be that simple about it, I know what I'm doing is wrong. This is what I'm doing that's wrong. If I don't fix it, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to make it right. That's a really good way to handle when you start feeling guilty uh, or when you realize that you're in the wrong about something. Uh, and, and that's just free. That's like extra thrown in here in the text. God's pretty cool like that, how he just adds things in when he knows we need them. Uh, so these four, this is the moment. This is the moment they become the heroes because they make a plan and they do it. And they run to the city and they share the good news. And uh, the end of the chapter there, or actually the, the continuation of that chapter is they go in, they, they tell the king, um, senses there might be a trick going on, so he has to like investigate it first. He figures out, he's like, no, right, they really are telling the truth. There's a whole thing. Let's go out there. Uh, and remember, there's this back and forth going on between Elisha and King Joram that we're just like sneaking past here. Uh, and and it's, there's, a, there's a great end to that story where... The king's right-hand man, uh, the guard who, like, was trying to assassinate and insult the Elisha the prophet ends up getting trampled by all the people as they run out of the city to go get all the uh, goods and riches and everything because he did not have faith and he went after uh, Elisha. It's a beautiful kind of ribbon on, on that end. Not for that guy, but for everybody else that's reading it, they're like, yes, this God wins. God wins in the end. And God's prophet is established as speaking the truth uh, in this, this situation. But the picture that we see in here is these men became heroes when they did the right thing. When they shared the good news. Because let's be, let's be real about this. These guys aren't really heroes, right? Like, who's, who's the hero in this story? Right? It's, it's God, right? God is the one who does the miracle, who kicks out the air. Like, it's not like the lepers went running into the camp with their swords and like, I've asked you, you know, get out of here. Like, we're, we're here for your food. You know, like this. No, they like come bumbling in. They're like, we might die. We might not. I don't know. And they find out that God already did it all. God is the hero of this story. But in this moment of, of clarity, these guys, because they didn't, they didn't set out to be heroes. They didn't act like heroes. 
right? And it's not even recorded that they were recognized as heroes. Like, there's not like a parade for the lepers, you know, glorify them, you know, uh, uh, promote them, put them in charge of something. Like, there's none of that. But they became heroes to the city because they shared the good news of what God had already done. And that's how you become an unexpected hero. So how does this apply to you and me? Because obviously we're not lepers, or mostly, I think, in, a, in here right now. I don't, I don't think we're lepers, um, and we're not in this besieged situation. There's a lot of things that are dissimilar about this situation, but there are some things that are similar. Here's, here's the big one. God has done a miraculous salvation, right? And it's right outside the city walls, and some of us have found it. I think most of us actually in this room have found God's miraculous salvation, and, and that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And we have to decide what are we going to do with it. So let me ask you just, just a couple questions here. Um, just so we're all on the same page, let me start by asking this. Have you come to a place in your life where you realize, like the lepers, the desperateness of your state in this life? Have you come to a point where you realize, I I'm desperate. I'm, I'm dead here. I'm dead there. I might be dead there. I, I just, I need something. Because that's how the Bible describes each one of us when we are born into this world. Ephesians 2 says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We're dead. We are incapable of righteousness, incapable of loving the one who made us, and we need him to save us. That the desperateness of our state is something that we all have to deal with at some point in life. And, and you may have already hit that moment in your life. You may not have yet. When you come face to face with who you really are in the mirror. And, and we, heard, we heard some testimonies already from those that were in the baptismal tank. We heard some great ones in the first service too of, of men and women who realized who they really were how they'd been faking, how they'd been trying to make it on their own, and they came to the point where they realized and found real sorrow over their sinful state, and they said, I need God to save me. And, and many of you probably have found that already. But if you haven't today, we, we would like to have that conversation with you. We would like you to be able to enjoy the spoils of God's salvation. Have you discovered God's miraculous salvation in your life? If you haven't, we need to talk. John 3.16, most famous verse in the Bible, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For he did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Guys, God has done the miraculous salving, saving work right outside the city walls. A bunch of us have found it. Now are we going to tell people about it? If you're here this morning and, and, and you haven't found it, we're here to tell you about it. That's what we're doing this morning. We're letting you know there is a salvation that is available to you. All you got to do is be willing to say, hey, I'm dead. I need, I need new life. I need what no one else can give me. I need what no one, where I can find nowhere else. Only in Jesus. I need his saving work in my life. That's what we want to offer you today. But that's for those of us who haven't found Christ yet. Okay? Now, next question 
is for those of us who have. We have discovered God's mercy. We have discovered God's grace. Let me put it to you this way, because I think, I think this is really the real push of this passage. Do you enjoy the spoils of what God has given you? Do you enjoy and, and, and relish and revel in what God has done in your life? Because you should. You should jump in. And, and when you see the pot of food right there, eat up. Fill your pockets. Like it's, it's good to revel in who God is and what he has done for us. He's given you a new life. He's made you a new child of God. Like you should be able to pop off your pillow in the morning and go, man, I am a redeemed mess up, <laughs> right? Like, and I have new purpose. I have new uh, thoughts. I have new, yes, I got, got this battle between the flesh and, and the spirit inside of me. And, and I, I get to follow Jesus. I get to talk to him. He talks to me. I, I get to have a relationship with my creator. I get to look at this world through different lenses that nobody else, get. like, it is a beautiful thing to be a follower of Jesus. And, and we should enjoy it. We should be different. We should have a joy about our life. And, and I would just encourage you, if, if, you're not, if you're not embracing that and going, yeah, I am. I, I have forgotten who I am in Jesus and I should enjoy it. Then you'd be like the leper that like stood there and go, yep, that's a full pot of food and I'm starving and I'm going to forget about it. I'm just going to walk off. Don't do that. Enjoy it. But remember, there's a balance there. This, this is the real, this is the moment of, are you going to be a hero or not, right? There's a balance between enjoying and then becoming selfish in it. Right? Becoming self-centered in your relationship with Christ. I could put, I could put it to you this way. Do, do you ever feel like maybe you've developed a self-centered or a selfish Christian life? And, and guys, it's easy to do. I, I, I call this, um, you know, the classic blunder of Christianity. Uh, I love uh, in, in The Princess Bride when Vicini's, you know, trying to trick the man in black. And he goes, you're falling victim to one of the classic blunders. Um, we, we do that. We do that as Christians. And no, it's not getting involved in a land war in Asia. It's, it's, it's very, very simply this. We make following Jesus, and I'm right there, okay? I make following Jesus about me. And it's really easy to do. Like, think, think of it this way. I have a relationship with Jesus that controls my future destiny. Right? I have a church and it is so meaningful in my life. You could think through all the different things about what it means to be a Christian. I read my Bible in the morning and it helps me understand God and his will for my life. I spend time in prayer and it helps me, me feel closer in my relationship with Jesus. I fight sin and it makes me look more like Jesus. I go to church and the sermons give me what I need to get through my life, right? And my church sings great songs that help me feel closer to the Lord and give praise to him, right? What's the emphasis? It's all me, me, my, my, right? I've got little kids. The, the me monster is real, right? And it, it sneaks into our faith until it gets to the point where we go, you know, I woke up this morning. I'm so thankful that the Lord loves me, and I'm just going to try to make it through my day and avoid sin, try to look like Jesus, and try to provide for my family and make sure my kids know about uh, God, uh, and then I'm going to try to relax in the evening because I know at some point all this goes away, my life will be done, and then I get to go to be with my creator and receive my eternal reward. reward. And life following Jesus 
is no longer me just enjoying the spoils and sharing the good news. It has now become a gluttonous, self-centered feast where everything is about me. And that's, that's when it's all going good, right? Now imagine something starts to go wrong in my church and I don't like the songs and I don't like the sermon. I don't like the people that hang out with me and my community group doesn't make me feel good about myself. And it, like, now it's all about me again, right? No. On our best days, on our worst days, the thing that kills us is making it about us. Be a hero and make it about others. Does your faith serve you? Or does your faith empower you to go serve others and share the good news? That's, that's my final question. What's your plan to share the good news of what God has done in your life? What's your plan? The lepers made a plan. They said, let us go at once to the palace and tell the good news. They made a plan and they did the plan, right? You plan your work, you work your plan. Do it. And, and that's what we all need to do. It's going to look different for each one of us. We're all in different situations in life. Some of us have, may have lots of access to unbelievers. Some of us have, may, may have very little or limited access to unbelievers. Maybe some of us only have a couple unbelievers in our family or a couple that we work with. And we've already tried sharing the gospel with them and got a lot of closed doors. So now we don't know what to do, right? Like, you got to make a plan. Serve through the things that your church has got going on. Start new ministries. Find a new pool of people to go after. Figure out what is it going to take for you to share the good news of all this miraculous saving thing that God has done in your life and offers to the life of everyone else because we're sitting there, gluttony, feast. Over there, there's a city of people starving to death. And we got to go, am I going to keep going? Because I could. Or am I going to pause? Am I going to go tell other people about the food that I found? That's what makes you a hero. I'm so proud, so proud of all the, um, a week or two ago, uh, during Parkapalooza, uh, I got to work alongside a lot of men and women just sweating our brains out, loading and unloading the box truck with all the inflatables and serving food and flipping hamburgers and hot dogs and stuff like that. And, and, and so many people working so hard to put these events on because we were trying to share the gospel. And not every single person at that event actually got to have a gospel conversation with someone, but everyone that was there contributed into putting on this event and this activity to share the gospel with people. And the gospel was shared multiple times in multiple ways. And we've seen families come into our church. We've had, we had salvations at the event and, and people figured out a plan. Their plan was, I'm going to volunteer. That was their plan. <laughs> If you're like, I don't know where to start, I don't know how to make a plan, just volunteer. Show up for stuff. Yeah, I mean, we do a lot of things here year-round, Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, and then we do a lot of things that are like one-time opportunities and activities. And yes, we need volunteers in order for those things to happen, but much more importantly than we need volunteers, you need opportunities to share the gospel. Right? When you're signing up for something, it shouldn't be, you know, Pastor Andrew twisted my arm, made me feel guilty about it, so I guess I'll sign up and serve for that thing for a week or for a day or whatever. No, 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 no. We don't want that. We want, hey, I want to share the gospel. I want to help people grow in their relationship with Jesus. How can I do it? And we go, I've got just the spot for you. It's going to be in this area at this time, and we're going to get it. Great. That's the dream. Okay? <laughs> that's, that's the dream. And it's so cool. We see, we're going to see that happen tonight with Kid Venture. So many people that have come out and volunteer their time because they're sharing the gospel with kids. Not just their own kids, but other kids. It's a beautiful thing. Make a plan. Make a plan for yourself. And then do it. Because that will make you 
an outcast hero, someone who's a mess up, someone who's not perfect, someone who probably is a little stinky to be around sometimes, right? But you're doing the good work. You're sharing the good news. Be a hero. Let's, let's be those kind of people. Let's be those kind of people. Let's pray. Lord, God, just, just I thank you for your word and the truth that it brings to our lives. I thank you for this, this story, this, this beautiful picture of these four guys who were not heroes, didn't act like heroes, but were heroes because you used them to make your power and your salvation known. God, we give you the praise for them and ask that you would help us to be those kind of people too. We give you the praise, the honor, and the glory for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.